This is the Timepieces History Podcast, brought to you by Gudrun Lorette, the expert in using modern marketing methods for the traditional heritage sector. Each bite-sized show shares the story of a place, person or object from the past in around 10 minutes. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to the Timepieces History Podcast. We're now halfway through Season 3, which is all about the Romans and their time in Britain. Today, on Episode 6, we're looking at the Roman army. I'd love to know what you think of these episodes, so please come and find me on Twitter at GoodrumLorite or leave a comment on your audio player of choice. Alternatively, you can pop a message onto the relevant podcast page over at goodrumlorite.com forward slash podcast where you'll find the show notes, useful links and an episode transcript. No email address required to access that. The Roman army was famously well-organised, disciplined and powerful, even when heavily outnumbered. There were two main reasons for this, training and loyalty. In the early days of expansion, there was a requirement that any man who wanted to join the army had to own land or property. This not only excluded large parts of the population of the empire, but also that soldiers were often noblemen, or at least well-to-do. In 107 BC, General Gaius Marius was made a consul and promptly set about creating a better, more modern army. In those early days, the ranks were filled by regular citizens, who did military service for a couple of years. After Marius' reforms, men signed up for 16-year stints in the military and spent their first four months undergoing rigorous training to prepare them for the challenges ahead. Marching in formation and responding as one to the commands were key. The soldiers were trained to be able to march 30 kilometres in five hours, carrying 50 kilos of kit and equipment on their backs, although they could rest assured that they had top quality supplies. By making the legionaries carry their own kit, Marius eliminated the need for the pack mules who trailed after the marching men. Training was hard and long, and the men quickly learned to rely on each other. They were also unwaveringly loyal to their commander, not least because, as Alistair Moffat explains in his book The Wall, the state only supported soldiers for the duration of their service. Once a man had left the army, he got nothing. Generals, including Gaius Marius and Julius Caesar, made a promise to ensure that each of their soldiers had a pension for later life. This was often made up of the spoils of war. Caesar's heir, Augustus, went on to make retirement provisions for each man. The Roman army was also well organised in terms of who did what and the role at each rank. At the bottom were the infantrymen, the foot soldiers who often bore the brunt of the fighting. They were split into legions, with 5,000 men in 10 cohorts. In the 1st century, this would consist of 9 standard cohorts of 480 men and a strong cohort of around 800 men. Each cohort was broken down into 6 centuria, which were units of 80, which is annoying because it should be 100. The legion would also have a cavalry unit of around 120 men attached to it. The infantry was made up of ordinary citizens, while the cavalry was made up of the upper classes. They could afford the horses. Legion comes from the word legio, or draft. The recruits got no say in which legio they ended up in, although the first was considered the most prestigious. The consuls took the commanding positions, one rank lower than emperor, and they worked together to assure victory. During the time of the Republic, this was the highest rank, and they served as magistrates as well. During the Empire, the Emperor would sometimes assign generals the same powers as he held himself in order to complete a campaign. Moffat also describes the remarkable Batavian horsemen, who had come from the Rhine Delta. They were able to swim across rivers in full armour, and when they rode into battle, they steered their mounts with their legs and fired arrows and javelins at the enemy. Of course, even for an Empire-obsessed country like Rome, the army wasn't always engaged in warfare or conquest. 
During peacetime or between battles, the soldiers were expected to continue to earn their keep by working for the good of their fellow citizens. There were a range of jobs given to soldiers, and very often they were assigned tasks that allowed them to use their pre-army skills. For instance, carpentry and blacksmithing were both in great demand. The soldiers could also expect to be involved in road building, which was more likely to be needed in a newly conquered country rather than back home in Rome. I should add here that many soldiers in the army were not native to Rome, but as Roman citizens that would have been their default base. They would also have assisted with the building of viaducts and public buildings, with public hygiene or agricultural work, as well as policing and military defence. As the empire grew and changed, the responsibility for border control and defence was given more to foreigners, often mercenaries, with a Roman officer to oversee them. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another episode about Roman life in Britain. Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.